Today I'm joined by an anonymous poster. I know this is a surprise for people. Um, an excellent poster. One of the first people I think I followed on Twitter. Um, a, uh, a a great mind of our generation uh, by Kofefe Anon. Welcome, Kofefe. Hello, Alex. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Uh, I'm very happy to to have you on. Uh, you... Um, you do not have any um, ebooks, courses, potency pills to to shill today. You are just a a free agent. You have a Twitter account. You put your thoughts out there, um, and you offer commentary from an NRX perspective. That's kind of what tagline is. I mean, what um, what is it about NRX that makes it a valid perspective? Well, wow, that's a that's a broad question. Let's say we have an understanding. We have an understanding of. Let's see. If we want to break it down, we have principal agent problems are real. Principal agent problems go through everything. Incentives are real. Um, much of what you believe is cargo cult uh, cargo cult thinking. Um, racial differences are real. Sex differences are real between men and women. And uh, incidentally, this is my this is my little theme: is the woke are often more correct than the mainstream about a lot of things, and not not in the way you would think, but in a way that wokeness, in a lot of ways, is weaponized is a is a weaponized version of an att- a weaponized attack on the mainstream's polite lies. So, if the mainstream wants to have a polite lie about something, the woke will eventually find the polite lie and say that's a lie. And the only people, the only way you can avoid that is the moderate way of avoiding that classically has always been, well, that's not true. We'll tell our, we'll tell our little lie. And the woke are just not having it. And they're right in a lot of cases, which is why it's, which is why it's such a powerful coordination mechanism for them. So you can't have the right rules for the wrong reasons or for no reasons. Yeah, that was actually one of the things I, I I wanted to talk about. I have that, you know, the, the woke are more uh, or more right than the mainstream, and I guess that is why so many people are slowly kind of cleaving off of the uh, the so called IDW, the uh, the classical liberalism. I mean, there's there's not really that much that there's no many not many answers there except for oh look at these people they're insane. Yes, but what exactly are your principles? On what basis are you diagnosing them as insane? I mean, would would your solutions offer relief for the inequalities that they observe? Would you just entrench a, like a caste system between these observed inequalities? You just ignore them? Oh, uh, what 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 gives? Um, and then they just turn around and say, "Oh no, actually, these wokies are pretty crazy, aren't they?" And I mean, how many days can you just go through this? You know the woke are the real racists. Uh, I feel like there's you know NRX to me is interesting because you know. They just put that aside. We, we're not going to have that conversation. And there's just a, so much, so much like the, the space of where you can pivot just intellectually is much broader. So yeah, that's, that's just it for me. Yeah, no, you're right. It is much broader because it's, it's, if you think of, okay, so taking a, a very simple example is criminal inclination and, and, and criminal behavior across races. And, and the woke say, well, the criminal justice system is set up for white people. And ultimately, they're 100% correct. They're not, they're not wrong on that in any way, shape, or form. If you read, if, if you look at the interactions that, let's say, that's, that in, in America that black people have with the criminal justice system, they have them because the way they fundamentally live their lives 
naturally is very different than the way white people fundamentally live their lives. They have different norms, different community norms, and they live with them. It's fine. It's, 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 no group is a defective version of another group. Every group is adapted for a different environment. That's all, right? But the, the, the progressives see everyone in the world as being defective whites. They see women as being defective men. I mean, it's sort of sad. And it's just not the case. And, and we have a, a much more reasonable thing. If you can say different groups have different rules, you can reach a much better, you can have a much better society, period. You can have a society that's better for everyone in it. But, you know, you'll, 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 you'll still have outliers and the outliers won't necessarily have the, have the best of all worlds. But that's, you know, that's the question is then, do you make your society for the tiny little slice of people that would fit better in liberal society? Or do you make your, your society better for operating with everyone and people who would fit better in liberal society have to come to some kind of accommodation? And that's, that's much more along the lines of, you know, what it would take to have like homosexuality be accepted as a, as a public thing. But that's, that's not really one of my topics on, on my Twitter feed for the, for the most part, but I, I don't disagree with the usual reaction or views on that. Yeah, I think the the kind of dis, disentangling the, the the basic norms, you know, ripping ripping off the guardrails that provide structure and stability for ninety nine percent of people to accommodate the minority has turned out um, <laughs> quite uh, I don't know quite disastrously, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's you know, you rip out the guardrails and you say. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I was, I was, because re- I'm always interested in reading about this. And, and, you know, the big, the big thing in America, the big thing in America that no one really talks about in a proper way, and it, and it has reflections today, is every progressive reform you have, progressives have been reforming the criminal justice system for, I mean, at least as far as I know, for, 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 in, since the 1950s, right? For the last 70 years. They've been making changes for it to be more equitable and more this. And the thing I read the other day that I'd never seen before is that the initial change was they wanted, they initially progressives wanted stricter law enforcement in the black communities because the old way was a way to keep them down and mired in crime was what they said. And then they wanted stricter law enforcement. And then as it turns out, because the old, the old, old way was you would invest executive authority in cops who would know. You know, some people are troublemakers and they don't get arrested, but, you know, maybe they get maybe they beat up every once in a while or, or, or you keep it away from the other people. But now you, you have a, an entire community where if you try to enforce any sort of norms, everyone in the entire community has warrants out for their arrest because they don't have unpaid parking tickets. Everyone, so no one can interact with the system in any kind of beneficial way. So instead of getting rid of the discretion, which was their first step, and then the next reaction to that is, whoa, we got rid of discretion. It looks like everyone has a criminal record. Now you got to get rid of that. And then you say, well, you should stop enforcing the law. And then the result of stop enforcing the law is you have this massive wave of crime that starts and that, that begins to tick up in the 50s. And then by the 60s and 70s, it ends up in, in literally just ethnic cleansing in the cities. I mean, New York City, the Bronx is, was an example. The Bronx was more than 80 was 85 percent white in 1950 and then by 1970 it was like 20 percent, and now it's like five percent because the 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 draw of living in suburbs 
combined with the just everyday violence, everyday violence. And people can't live like that, like horrible things, like horrible, horrible things happened. Yeah, there there was a thread I think a few months ago about I think from from Nightmare Vision um, about a town called called Rosedale, Texas. I Rosedale, think. Yeah. yeah, it was. It's a it's a it's a renamed it's a renamed town. That's a great thread. Yeah, I, I actually happened upon, and that's not a unique story either. And and I happened upon somebody linked in a response to one of my things about a PDF about the same story happened in the Bronx, and and you know the Bronx was. It had a similar ethnic makeup and oh my god like the quote from rosedale I, I wrote i wrote one down i wrote one quote down on this on, on this is the somebody said that he took what he wanted and that the killing of people just happened from a guy who who you know from from a, from a guy who basically got freed from all sorts of norms and, and responsibilities and just sort of treated <laughs> You know, this sort of goes back to my my other my other main theme is the two tables that I post on occasion when people talk about how people talk about race differences is the genetic distance, the FST distance between blacks and whites is the exact same distance as the distance between wolves and coyotes. And you would not expect wolves and coyotes to form similar societies. You should not expect blacks and whites to form similar societies. You should figure out ways that people can live peacefully together. But that doesn't mean you should expect the same norms. Like we have, we have a, a, a like the most recent, the most recent wave of things is is you know in, in the in. So we hit upon a solution, and the solution that we hit upon was you arrest people, you hold them in prison, and then for a while while they're waiting trial, you hold them without bail, and then they're in there for a year or two and then they get a trial or they, or they come up to trial and then they plea bargain, they plea bargain for time served and they get released. That was the compromise solution for actually getting criminals off the street. Now the woke correct. If you, you can't try all these people, these people can't be tried. They haven't been found guilty of any crimes because they haven't, you know, they haven't been convicted of anything, but the way the system works is it warehouses them just by being arrested. And then you have the the exploitation that the woke came up with is bail charities. So now all of a sudden you have all the bail being paid for, and what is the result of that immediately? They're well, they're not technically criminals because they haven't been convicted of anything. But the whole model of a criminal justice system that works like that is very Anglo-Saxon and very your ancestors have a background. And and I read this where, and I, I might get the numbers wrong, but something like. One percent of the male population every generation for 150 to 200 years in England died via execution or being apprehended for be for being for a, for a capital crime. So, in other words, a mob went to hunt him down and they killed him. And people, everyone who's everyone whose ancestors lived in a civilized place, meaning in cities where you have to live with each other because we're, we're humans are big, dangerous apes that are there that can hurt each other pretty easily. Everyone whose ancestors lived in cities has had this tendency built into them for be cautious about using using the force and you and, and controlling your your emotions in that way. But people whose ancestors didn't live in cities don't have that background, period. That's just a different it's just a different way of living, a different way of living your life. Yeah, and just successive waves of all, essentially kind of cleaning of the of the 
genetic basin of, of people yeah. with extremely antisocial tendencies. They were just, you know, how, how many times do you have to do this until you actually kind of tame the male population in a way because the, the craziest psychopaths, you know, are in the gallows every year. Every so. year, every generation that happens. Yeah. That's I, mean, I can I can give you a site. I'll give you a site on that one afterwards. I have it I have it linked, but I don't want to my keyboard is very loud and my mouse is very loud and I don't want to do that during the uh, during the podcast. So if anybody's I'll interested add, I can I'll add that in the show notes and I'll also add that Rosedale thread if it still exists. <laughs> it does. It, yeah. I, I happened to look on it yesterday. So it does still exist. And there's also on addition to the Rosedale thread, there's a PDF from like the Bronx history thing, which is basically tells the exact same story. You you can see that it's repeated everywhere, right? Yeah, and these these are like histories compiled not by some, you know, fringy, crazy right-wing extremists, but actually I think like by by rather left-wing, you know, sociology people who are just investigating the situation, just just no, noting down what was happening, interviewing real people. Uh, so just reading the accounts is quite uh, disturbing and, uh, I don't know, black-pilling, I guess. I mean, it's it's... I don't think it should be blackpilling, but it should be, it should certainly be, it should certainly make people realize that what we have right now, it just doesn't work. And it doesn't work for a, a very strange reason. And now here's a, here's a, there's a reality distortion field around it too, which, which I think is very interesting for the fact that this real, this type of reality distortion field exists around everything because people People are social animals, right? You know, there's no possibility of you waking up tomorrow and getting eaten by a bear. So the only thing that matters in your life is dealing with other people. So people have cognition and they, the way they see things and the way they perceive things is entirely based on fitting into society. Not entirely, but a lot based on fitting into society and making your views acceptable and and everyone is vulnerable to propaganda and and you don't realize if you say cities were ethnically cleansed of white people in the united states people just that just doesn't compute and when it's the most obvious thing in the world if you just look at the numbers it's 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 obvious and 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 it's and it's this kind of thing applies in a lot of areas yeah yeah i mean you can you can you can call it white flight which is <laughs> Of putting the burden on, you could call gentrification putting the burden on something else. White shift. Well, gentrification is when it happens the other way. Gentrification is when these buildings that these beautiful old buildings that just happen to exist from who knows when they came from. The aliens built them apparently. No, because they were built for they were built for middle class and and upper class white people who lived in cities who fled. And then gentrification is hey, these buildings are great. Why doesn't anybody live here anymore when you can afford to buy, the, buy them up? Because, you know, honestly, it's, it's people, people who are not part of that community don't want to live in that community. And also there's collective action problems. People who are in that community maybe would prefer to have it not be that way, but they also would prefer to live their lives in such a way that the community ends up that way. You know, like the, the average... You know, the average black person living in living in a in in a it would would wish that their neighborhood was nicer, but at the same time doesn't want any of the things that would be required for their neighborhood to be nicer. And that's fine. You know, they can they can there's no reason why they can't collectively can't make that choice. I have no problem with that. You know. But I, I also think that, that that you should appoint a satrap of the uh there should be they should be you know, a satrapy and there should be a king. They should have a king and the king should decide how they deal with the, the wider society and the king sort of makes decisions for the for the community. But that's, you know, 
That's my my tongue in cheek. My tongue in cheek proposal for race relations in the United States is Calvin Johnson should be the uh, the the satrap of the blacks. The, the, the funny thing is that this is literally how things are solved in in Romania with with our you know exactly. population. <laughs> they yeah. the the gypsies have a king. Uh, and they, ha- they actually have an emperor as well. I don't exactly know what the relationship is between them. <laughs> I don't think the emperor actually expand- expands over the whole Eastern European empire. It's a lo- local empire, uh, emperor. <laughs> but uh, it's, uh, yeah, that's kind of how, you know, the community is very separate as well. You know, this it's 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 a long story. And actually, in a way, I keep making this point, but it, it is what happened. You know, the second the borders were open to, to Europe, our, uh, you know, Roma community uh, issues of, of conflict and things were diminished significantly because there are not that many Roma left in, in Romania. You know, they're a nomadic population. The uh, the osmotic pressures of, of where, where the money is in Europe, you know, pulled them into into wider Europe. And, you know, uh, a lot of the problems solved themselves. So um, thank you, <laughs> well, Fran, this- Italy. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's this in the United States. I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with, with the history there, but in the early 20th century, there was something that they called the Great Migration, where, where for, until, that, until that point in the United States, blacks mostly lived in the South. And then after that, they moved to many northern cities. And the northern cities, I don't know how familiar you are with America, but the big draw northern cities were cities like Detroit, Newark. You know, I mean, like all the cities, Camden, New Jersey, all the cities that you now know of as as no-go zones were all the targets of migration from from there. But yeah, no, I mean, and, and my, my tongue-in-cheek proposal of Calvin Johnson as satrap of the Blacks is because, I don't know if you, you know this, but like Calvin Johnson's actually got like a spectacularly high IQ. He's got one of the three highest, every NFL player gets, uh, he was, if you don't know who he is at all, he was a he was one of the best wide receivers of all time. He's like in the in the NFL. He's he, you know like six four, like like a, like a big large dude, like athletic. He had he had one of the three highest ever Wonderlic scores of NFL players. The NFL gives an IQ test to every player as part of their evaluation process. I think you'd make an idea. He's married to an actual black woman too, has like multiple kids with her, like not married to a white woman, like you know, most. And yeah, I think you'd make an ideal, make an ideal king of the uh, king of the American blacks. And you say, look, your community, you deal with it. If there's a grievance, people go to you. That's how communities should deal with each other. If if you can't de- if you can't live in one society, and and frankly, it looks like you can't. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, that's, you know, again, just thinking about how, how things cause are happening here. I live in, in an area of Romania that used to belong to Hungary. It's a lot of, you know, ethnic friction here as well between the Hungarians and the Romanians. Everything's bilingual in this area. You know, you can go to the market and someone just speaks to you in Hungarian and they don't speak Romanian and, you know, it's a whole thing. Uh, so, you know, that's exactly essentially have their own, their own parties and parliament. They all have their own representation. Um, and, Yes, they have their own leaders as well. So uh, there are coalitions, of course, but it's it's very, it's separate. No one's really expecting the Hungarians to vote with someone else outside of the Hungarian party. And the Hungarian party decides, usually decides a lot of elections because it's a huge minority, almost a majority in this area. And they pick the winner, essentially. Who who are they going to ally with and uh, who are they going to push? 
So yeah, that's 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 how it works in the wider world in places where we we're kind of making it work. I mean, obviously the differences aren't, aren't that big, but still there 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 was quite a lot of, you know, physical conflict uh, at one point and there's a lot of uh grievances related to who whose territory it is. I mean, of course. And 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 you know, okay, so Lee Kuan Yew and the 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 premier of Singapore, the the king of Singapore for his lifetime, who who made the place into a a, a fantastic place. And and sort of they're coasting on the uh, on 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 his uh, on his contributions to them. He said he said he's if you're in a multiracial democracy, you you don't you don't vote your party. You vote your your you vote your race. Period. And so that's why Singapore just can't have that because Singapore is you know Singapore is divided. It's got Malays. It's got Chinese. It's got uh, and, you know a, a Western expat population, and then and then it's got a, it's got a significant number of Indians, I believe, but. Yeah, it's, is it? Yeah, I mean, a multiracial democracy just doesn't work. You know, I mean, and, and you know, you see it in the United States. The United States, the two parties in the United States are ethnic coalitions, basically, to, for the most part. I mean, the United, the the Republican Party is is the white party, and the Democratic Party is the party of everyone else. <laughs> it's the it's the non-white party. It's the unmarried woman party. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, and yeah, that's basically it. As Jews, as their intellectual leaders who are are almost all all on that side. I appreciate the the contributions of our our Michelin friends and our our Jewish friends in NRX. Oh yeah, I guess, I don't know if if most of the the thinkers in the space are are Jewish in some way, but I think... uh, quite a lot of them are at least you know the the father figure definitely is absolutely Um, yeah uh i also wanted to um to ask you about because you know the the second thing that appears in your bio on um on twitter is the uh the 54th clause of the magna carta uh absolutism (laughs) (laughs) and that's uh, yes, of course I did. Um, <laughs> I wasn't familiar with it, you know, obviously, because it's, it's not necessarily screaming at me uh, to 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 look up. But um, this kind of leads me to to the next major area of interest that we have in common. You know, the the uh, infamous uh, WQ, the the woman question, uh, oh, yeah. on which you have a lot of opinions as well. Um, yeah, I mean, we we don't always see it. I obviously, but I think uh, I think you have a lot of uh, valuable opinions on this as well. And I think describe what the the fifty fourth clause of Magna Carta all right, is. Let, let me, all right, I'm going to do it off the top of my head, and it's it's. Um, a woman shall not be able to accuse a man of a deadly crime unless it's her husband. I think yes. is the is the yeah. yeah. What, so, what I so, have here is um, no one shall be arrested or imprisoned on the appeal of a woman for the death of any person except her husband. So yes, precisely. Yeah. It's a bit more uh, old timey, but yes. <laughs> yeah, it's old timey, but but you know, I think I think if you can read it broadly, the same way you read the First Amendment to the United States Constitution as also including you know freedom of the press. Not just if it's printed, if it also includes, you know, being words on the internet. But I, I sort of feel the same way about that clause of the Magna Carta because women, women and men are different in a lot of fundamental ways. And one of the ways that they're different is if you give women a social weapon, women will use the social weapon for the things that are important to them as a woman, and not the way men will use it, where they'll be like, well. 
I have no right to claim this for the most part. And if, if a man claims this when it's not true, then, you know, other men will ostracize him for it and he'll lose his standing with, with he will worry that other men will ostracize him for it. So the idea is women will falsely accuse men of rape because for various reasons, for attention, for to get out of responsibility for things, men will, women will do all sorts of things that aren't really on the horizons of men because men and women have had very different selective backgrounds over the last 10,000 years, which brings up my other most frequently posted image on, on my, uh, on my Twitter page, which have you seen this one? The, uh, the survival rates of mitochondrial DNA versus Y chromosomes over the last 10,000 to 10,000 years to present. And there is a giant dip in the last 10,000 years where one in 17, where, where the ratio of surviving Y chromosomes to mitochondrial DNA is 17 to one. So for every mitochondrial DNA that survived, so every 17 of them, only one Y chromosome made it, meaning you had men forming cooperative war bands to conquer the women of another tribe and take those women in, take those women in. And for the most part, almost all women survived. So women have a lot more older cognitive adaptations and men have a whole bunch of new stuff that was sort of implanted in them and, and, and concepts that were needed to cooperate successfully for war bands is, is the fundamental difference, I think, in the mentality between men and women. Yeah, I think the the kind of the the difference here that I I felt is is I I agree in the sense that you know there's there are huge differences between men and women. I think this you know these are these are some of them, but I do feel like a, a lot of men recently have slid into uh, kind of female patterns of conflict, female patterns of of behavior. So like for oh, example, yeah. if you just uh, you know instantly institute um, you know. The fifty-fourth clause. Uh, I would be surprised if uh, the same um, Im- implied um, codes of honor. The same, the same, the same flaws. The same flaws don't show up in both. Yeah, I, I think you're right because I think that feminine models of conflict they're inherent to women in modern society for a similar convergent evolution reasons, like the way things evolve in nature to to become like crabs, because. You have a society, and once your society wins against the competing societies on the outside of it, everything then becomes about power conflicts within a society. And that's sort of the same thing that women live, have lived with always and sort of shaped their cognition. Like, women, are always, women always know that if, if the tribe over the next hill comes over and conquers us, the women that she's dealing with now, she's going to be dealing with forever. She's going to be dealing with them for the rest of her life. But the men know that if they don't cooperate, they can still get, they can get conquered by the tribe over the hill. But if you have conquered the known world, then all of a sudden you can kind of defect on the other men in your tribe. And you can play the same types of games that women play with each other. You play that with men. And that's sort of how you have, like our society, the United States right now is so strong because of the, the, results of being on an isolated continent, the only uh, a completely safe continent with fish as our, as our neighbors to the east and west. We're no threat to invade us at all. So what happened is we've reached, we reached such incredible amounts of strength that everyone in the world is trivial 
to the to, to people and and the entire society can focus on infighting and it takes a long time to break down the cooperative bands because you see the united states was able to form a war machine as of world war ii so it had cooperative bands but all of that breaks down over time because it's much easier to defect on the group you lose your asabiya i don't know how to pronounce the word you, you know the word right yeah, asabia, I think. Asabia, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's one of the words that I, that I, that I really speak out loud. Asabia. Yeah, you lose your asabia because why should you sacrifice for the tribe when you don't have to worry about the tribe losing to an outside force? The tribe is secure. So you might as well fight for power within the tribe. And then eventually that happens and that's, that becomes such a dominant mode that eventually the barbarians beat you. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I have a kind of a similar view on this, um, kind of from, from a different perspective. I feel like, uh, you know, a lot of, um, the commentary on this is that, okay, there was a moment where we collectively decided that women should have more rights. They should have equal rights to men. And the, uh, kind of the theory preceded the reality and it was just kind of a, you know, a stroke of a pen and, you know, the, the deal was done. But I feel like a, a lot of this is only possible because, um, certain, you know, material, historical and technological changes allowed us to even be able to ask that question. Like, like you said, we not only won the contest among nations or among, you know, the, the tribes outside, mm-hmm. but also against hunger, against, you know, the, the problem of shelter, the, you know, the, the problems that were just so acute that you couldn't even negotiate with concepts like patriarchy. These are were social technologies that were so essential for you not descending into total chaos the next yeah. day that, you know, the, the second all of these pressures were lifted, then it was almost natural that, you know, each, each person now is an individual. We can, you know, satisfy wants and desires and, you know, each, each person has wants and desires and why not just, uh, you know, all participate in the fulfillment of each other's wants and desires. So kind of, this is kind of a, a runaway thing that happens once you take the lid off of nature, you know, of, of nature's red and tooth and claw off of the society, these things tend to bubble up. So um, I just don't see how, you know, that's also my, my question because I've kind of placed restrictions on myself seeing, see, I, seeing at least a, a part of this in my own life and seeing what, you know, unrestricted individualism does to me and to the people around me, I've kind of put, you know, boundaries on myself. But doing this at a collective level, um, it seems to be very kind of LARPy in a way. It feels like, you know, I, I don't know, what do you make of this? Well, all right, so the classical thing is, I mean, all right, just just factual matter. You, your own appearance, your 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 massive growth on Twitter is because you are a stunningly beautiful woman. Every man, I mean, it's true, you know, I mean, you know you are, right? You're tall, you're blonde, you've got blue eyes. Every feature about you is is arresting, and no man, no, no man with any sort of no man who's who doesn't consume soy all the time isn't going to be massively distracted by that and and want to pay attention to you, which says that naturally, if there aren't these collective restrictions, women wield a massive amount of social power. And if you don't have if you don't have a natural world that sort of tamps that down, they will wield that social power in ways that are that's destructive to themselves. Like, you know, not a lot of men out there are, you know, you, you watch a, you'll, you'll watch a thing about like a rock star who completely loses it because 
he has, you know, he has access to, to, you know, all the coke and all the coke that he wants. It gets walk into, walk into any nightclub and any women, any woman is at his beck and call. And that's literally the experience of a pretty girl starting at the age of 16, right? Every single girl is basically the equivalent of that. Like the top ones are, are get more, get more out of that. But, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of given these gifts that naturally so that you can find not, you know, I want to say so that you can entice a husband to that naturally in the past you would have needed to take care of you and to provide for you during famine times, blah, 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 blah. But in a world where you don't really have to do that. And, and this, I think is the big difference. This, I think is a sort of a difference between whites and Asians is, is I think, you know, there's, there's the broad group East Asians, I think are a lot more famine adapted. And I think their women are a lot more, sort of uh pragmatic about this kind of stuff like they're they're sort of like they're like yeah who's going to take care of who's going to take care of the kids that i have and and european women are much more i think we've had a little bit more of a like a thunderdome past they're just like yeah i i want to have i want to have a i want to have a sexy man i think it's much more much more a euro women trait than a than an east asian women trait but you know and then and then africa is its own own thing entirely because they can provide their own food but Socially, women have massive amounts of power unless you unless you have a, a a collective agreement not to do that because the incentives for individual men to defect on that and to you know to white knight for women are so huge because attention from women feels good. That's how we're made, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, attention for men's men's feels good as well. I mean, that's a, a big chunk of what what social media is for a lot of women, and all obviously all the the magic that goes. But that's an interesting point because it's it's women sort of have an incomplete program in a lot of ways. Women have women's program is go out and get the attention of a lot of men, and then you know, like like in in her head, the the, the last piece is not in her head. The last piece is you go out and you get the attention of a lot of men and then one of them will make you his wife and then he will take care of the rest of that and then your your reproductive program can take over from there but women if you make that socially unallowed then men can't do that part and then women just stay in that stay, like sort of stuck in an infinite loop you know like a loop without without a without a termination condition you know the termination condition becomes when do I stop getting attention from men, which is absurd. <laughs> you know, it's, no, it, yeah. It, yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> you continue. I'm just, I'm just uh, like, vigorous. Oh, I had a thing, I had a thing <laughs> in it and, it and it slipped out of my mind for a minute. So yeah. I, I was going to let you talk and see if I could recall it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, it's a, there's a slight delay. So it always uh, happens that, you know, <laughs> we get in these <laughs> verbal battles. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I just was just interrupting you to vigorously agree with you. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, um, I think it's, 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 yeah, like you said, it's, um, there, there is no, no end point to, uh, to the chasing of, of this type of status of, of, yeah, pure attention um, and there's also kind of the, the media layer on top of it that tells you that not only are you entitled to this type of attention, because this is, this is what life is for, is that it really doesn't have to end. It doesn't end. Or if, if it does end, oh, it's yeah. all to the people at the other end who are not honoring your beauty. You know, there was this uh, yeah. kind of what was 60 year old model recently 
who is oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Polina Poroskova. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very beautiful woman, obviously, and great looking for her age, but for her age, really. I mean, that's just the right. nature of of life and death. I'm sorry, lady. Uh, so well, yeah, you know, her personal story is very interesting because you know you know why she's she's recently in the media because her husband died maybe two years ago. So she had she had a and you know I mean I don't want to get into the details. I know that. And I don't know the details and I don't know, I don't think anyone, anyone on the outside will find out, but apparently he wrote her out of his will because he died of cancer and, you know, so, you know, and he thought she wasn't attending to him. I don't know the details of that. I'm not taking any position on that, but it's interesting because she talks about how, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so beautiful and I go to these parties and, and no one pays any attention to me. Meanwhile, she married a guy who was 15 years older than her. What did she think when she was 20? When she was 20 and she went in there, did she say, why isn't that man paying attention to 35-year-old women? Or did she say, look at all these men paying attention to me. This is right and just in the way the world should work. Of course, it's the latter. You know, it's you, again, I don't think you can fault women for having this attitude because the entire time you reach your adult brain when you're no longer a child and you, you can actually engage with the world the second you engage with the world you're treated in a way that it, it, it it's like if you had if you paid men to treat young men a young man this way he who knows what he would turn out to be like like if you paid him to like pay attention to everything you say and everything you say is interesting and everybody every man from 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 60 to, to 20 thinks you're, thinks you're the most fascinating thing on the planet. Like, of, of course it's going to mess up women's heads. Of course it is. Yeah. I, I feel like, um, it's, you know, that's kind of brings me to this question of, you know, agency. I feel like most people have less agency than the kind of rational actor theory uh, imagines. And, you know, like you said, they're all in, enthralled to, different mimetic egregores and, and ideas and, and propaganda. But, you know, the, the young woman, the young, beautiful woman is a special type of ingenue. <laughs> There's a special type of blindness to reality. Uh, and, you know, it, it, you can get shocked by, by how, how steep the decline is. Um, you know, getting older is, is probably one of the bigger shocks to someone like that. Uh, there, it's not all upside up. Obviously, you know, the idea that uh, you, you're also kind of a predator magnet if you're that type of yeah. girl, especially if oh, you're not. It's, it's, I don't think it's all, I don't think, I don't think describing that is upside at all. I mean, <laughs> all right, why not? This, this, Dune, the, uh, the movie Dune came out recently. So in, in the, in the, in the second book, you see in the, 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 the story is very interesting and, you know, spoilers for a, for a book that's like 50 years old at this point, but the the first part of it is is the standard is the sort of the semi-standard hero's journey he takes over these people and and then the second part is look at what this look at what hit look at what him taking over these people did to these people and how it kind of destroyed them but there's a part in it where his enemies within the fremen within the people that he took over hired a pinge i think pangeist is the word it, it, it's it's someone who is a historian who would write nothing but complimentary things about him, right? And someone at some point says, why would they do that if they didn't think of him as their enemy? So in other words, the same thing about women with everyone paying attention to them and everyone thinking they're great is not really beneficial for the person exactly. 
you know, and, and it's, you know, so I thought that was a, an interesting fictional example of it, but people don't want to, hear, you know, people, people need to, you know, have reality checks and a woman's husband will give her a reality check. Uh, a, a, a man who's trying to get a man who's trying to get a woman into bed is not going to give her a reality check. Everything she says is right because ultimately, because you know, she controls the end of the interaction that you're looking to uh, you're looking to get out of the out of it. Yeah, I think you know whenever a, a, a counterpart has something that you deeply desire, it's almost impossible not to objectify that, that other person, not to equate them with your desire uh, and then to treat them, you know, in a kind of a bipolar way, you know, they're either, you know, the, the virgin or the whore or they're, you know, the, the putting the woman up on the pedestal is the same, the same action that you do before you tear her down. So it's, it's, you know, treating women this way, I've always, I've, not always, actually, I, I, I used to be a feminist for a hot minute at one point. But after that, I started to realize how how dehumanizing it is to to be treated, essentially. Even even when you're glorified, you're still a, an object. You're never human. You're always, you know, this perfect person who never, is never wrong, can never, you know, make a, a false accusation, can never, uh, you know, make a mistake, is always victimized, is always kind of you know, e either has insane agency, you know, to be the girl boss or has none at all. Like it's a, it's a land of extremes and it just doesn't represent what women actually are. No, it doesn't. I, I thought it was a funny thing. And I never, I never posted about it, but it was, it was a, it was a thing on Twitter on the, on the, uh, what is it on the, on the right panel where they have the things that are trending. And it was, uh, oh God, I, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of her name. What was the name of the woman in the, in the blurred lines video? The, the spectacularly uh, beautiful uh, model. Emily Ratajkowski? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I don't remember her last name either. Ratajkowski. And it was talking about how she regrets, she regretted posing like that and objectified her, blah, 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 blah. And then at the exact same time, at that story, right below it on the trending thing, was a story about another woman who, who, Bared her to bear herself in a music video, like literally the same thing, like like how it was empowering that she was naked in a music video, like literally on the same day, there were both of them side by side. So that's afterwards, if you you can you can go and you can get agency from being from saying that you regretted doing what you were doing, and before you can get agent you can get paid attention to for taking out your debts. So what yeah. can you say keeps on giving <laughs> yeah exactly it's forever you can you can do this forever you can go from victim to i mean and and again none of this is none of this is good for women none of this is good for women at all i mean what's good for what's good for women is restricting their choice in a lot of ways and and that's that's a that's a, a thing that that gets the hackles up on a liberal uh, on on a, on a, or even on a mainstream person, but the reality is that you have to restrict that you ha women have to have their choices restricted because their programs are incomplete. Your program is incomplete. You will get attention and you will you'll you'll thrive on the attention, but that doesn't go anywhere unless unless you have the other. Okay, so the other fact, in addition to the um, in addition to the to the to the seventeen to one and the 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 survival of the mitochondrial DNA versus the Y chromosomes, is that you can see that the big difference is the the only way women would die in the past in our in our evolutionary past the only way women would die would be get caught cuckolding her husband is basically the one of the few ways so that the the 
matching percentage matching of surnames and Y chromosomes, if you if you, when they've done this in, in DNA tests, is very large, and it implies a a false paternity rate of only about one percent per generation at most. So women are actually primed to go along with men who have the social backing of the of the group. So if a man has the social backing of the group, she will sort of, I want to say, like, relax. She will relax into a world where that's taken care of and she doesn't have to worry about that anymore. She and, Unless things go radically wrong, and unless things go radically wrong and he shows weakness and he doesn't look like he has uh, the group, the back in the social group. So it, it's, it's, we sort of have accidentally engineered, accidentally on purpose, whatever, whatever, whatever the egregore does, um, engineered a situation where, where we're activating the programs in women that say your husband is not backed by the group, your group is in danger. Like even women who are married are are, are insecure and not not secure in the way married women should be because our because our attitude towards it because our attitude towards it where hey you know like constantly telling her, hey you can walk out any time hey there's cash prizes for divorce like mm-hmm. it's 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 what that message really says is it doesn't it's not about the cash prizes it's about saying. Your husband doesn't have the backing of the group. Your husband is not a member of the group. The the normal way is if a woman runs off, get ma- you know marriage by abduction, and then if the woman runs off, the man goes and finds her and drags her back because no one in the society will, will, will take her back. Her in laws won't take her, her. Her parents won't take her back because you know they got they got rid of her. But in our society, it's like, hey, if you go and you escape, you're free. You know, which which says your husband is not a part of the group. Because the most basic service a group provides to get the loyalty of men is you are you all back each other when it comes to dealing with your wives and and the the trouble that that can cause if she if she meets another man if she you know that kind of thing like because the men in, because any number of men as a team always beat an individual man so the individual man seducer is not a social problem that you really have to worry about. What you have to worry about is just that she has a husband that has social backing. And that solves the problem for her, and it solves the problem for him. And it's the solution we had until very recently in our society. And because we threw it out, people can't reproduce anymore. Because our species is not adapted to reproducing under the conditions that we've created. Yeah, I think, you know, this is all very jarring to to modern ears. And, you know, there's there's obviously a a lot of uh, constraint in some of these situations. Uh, but at the same time, living under the present system is a totally different constraint in itself because all of these are, are coordination systems. Uh, and if you cannot predict what your husband will do, what your wife will do, um, you know, my I'm I'm the product of a, of a second marriage. My my dad left his first wife to be with my mom, who was 23 years younger. You know, that's that was a coordination problem that someone lost, and um, obviously I won out of that combination. But it was just a, a product of its time. You know, all the previous generations in these families, you know, there were very long lasting marriages. There was no divorce. Uh, was there a constraint in in those combinations? That probably <laughs> there's probably some constraint in there, and there are probably people pulling the short straw. But they were um, much more fruitful combinations. And mm-hmm. uh, 
actually, you know, if looking back, uh, you know, family lore allows to to have any information about what happened, they were quite more stable as well. Um, you know, it seems to be much less drama in, in those stories than in the ones that uh, kind of the, the boomer generation produced. Anyways, yeah. it's uh, yeah, and and, and I think. Um, yeah. It goes back to a concept. It goes back to a concept. And again, this is a reactionary concept or, or one we've adapted is there's an English saying about grasping the nettle. Have you heard this one before? No. Okay. So apparently there's a, there's a plant and it has, it has thistles on it. And if you, if you lightly touch it, the thistles go and, you know, they hurt, you know, they, they puncture your, they puncture your skin, they hurt your hand. But if you just grab it fully, it doesn't because if, you know, the thistles go and they get bent down and they're not strong enough to like poke you. So the idea is if you have social structures that are strong, you don't actually need to use the coercion that they imply because people can reach agreements. Men and women can form stable lifelong arrangements. But if you have no rules, then they're constantly looking to whether they whether they should cooperate or defect in the next in the next iteration. So if you know that you can't, then you settle into a cooperate, cooperate, and you have a much more fruitful lifelong partnership. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, everything around us is, uh, is set up to incentivize defecting yeah. On, yeah. On, on multiple levels. I think, you know, men and women is obviously the most civilizationally salient one of, you know, because we're dying out <laughs> slowly yeah. but surely. Uh, but even, I mean, even if you just look at the market, you know, every, every product is a kind of Olympic trap. Everything yes. is, you know, whispering defect into your ear in every corner. Yeah. Like this cannot stand, you know, something. No, it, can't. Like it can't. It's, it's, it's the thing is it's, you know, the, the, and this is why liberalism really is wrong. And, and, and taking issue with the IDW people is if people are always free to choose then the choices that you make are radically different than if you're free to choose not to choose anything anymore, right? Mm -hmm. You need to have the freedom to make, a, you know, and, and again, they, they can mock it as, well, that's, that's, that's the right to sell yourself into slavery. But, you know, there are arrangements that you can and want to make where, you know, if you, if you, if you metaphorically sell yourself into slavery, you solve a lot of problems. You know that this situation is is not something where you have to worry about defect effect at every single moment of every single day. You can you can do long term cooperative stuff that you can't do if you don't allow coercive or coercive arrangements. And I'll phrase it in the best way. And that gets back to the woke being more correct than the mainstream. Right? The woke are right. Marriage really is coercion against women. It really is. Women, because women have to say, I'm willing to pledge to you these 15 years where I would be absolutely a rock star. I have to pledge these 15 years to you when you're not providing the value to me that I could get on the open market. You're not providing, you know, the interesting, the interesting chads to, uh, the interesting chads to hook up with and like the parties and, you know, and whatever else, whatever else my hedonism wants. Yeah, you're not providing that. But on the other hand, you're going to be there for the rest of my life and you're going to give me children. My children are going to take care of me when in my old age. So, it, but it really is coercive. The work, the woke correct. It really does coerce, coerce women. There's no question about it. There's no equal, there's no point at any point in an entire marriage where it's equal. When, when both sides are giving up the same thing. 
Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, you know, the, the, the problem is that at the same time, you know, you could be giving up your youth, but at the same time, you know, he could just swap you out for a younger model, which is yeah. something that's, that, that can happen as well. So, oh, you know, yeah, no, yeah. Both, both sides of the, both sides of the bargain are broken a hundred percent. And, and, you know, you know, I might be the most, you know, I might be considered the most misogynistic account on Twitter, but I, I really honestly do. There, women have a lot of, have a lot of problems in, in, in our society. It's not, it's not roses. It's not all, all sunshine and roses for them. I mean, a woman has to basically, if she wants to find a husband, she has to hope. That's really all she can do is hope because she doesn't have any, she doesn't have any way to compel it. She doesn't, there's no, there's no, well, if I don't put out, then he will have to marry me. No, because then he'll just move on because the signals are all messed up because the signals are, if she doesn't, as a man, you assume that there were a hundred guys before you that she found attractive enough to 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 swipe right on on Twitter. Is that the direction you swipe on Twitter? I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not Tinder. I don't have Tinder. Tinder. Uh, I think so. Yes. Uh, I think right. So. Good. Left is bad. <laughs> like yeah, in the okay. Bible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so right. Like in reality. So yeah. So, so there. Were, so as a man, you assume that it's not that she wants to wait. You assume that she just doesn't find you attractive. And and that you know she's using you for another purpose. The, the entire thing is broken, and, and there's no there's no getting around it. There's no the only thing you can do is. And I read you know there was a famous e girl, and, and I won't name names if you know whatever. She talked about how she doesn't have premarital sex anymore, and she said she was she was she was serially monogamous from the time she was 15 until the present day, which is she's like 26 now. It's like, okay, so for, for, for a decade, for a decade, you've been, you know, you went, you go from one man to another man and, you know, none of the men chose to settle down with you, but now you're like, well, now I think the problem is that I was, I was having sex with, with these men before they were willing to commit, but that doesn't solve your problem either. Saying you're not willing to have sex with them doesn't solve your problem. It doesn't get them to, it doesn't get them to commit. It just makes them interpret what you're doing in a different way. Yeah, and and also laying it out like in that way. I mean, uh, on Twitter, <laughs> it kind of gives away your strategy there. Not uh, not sure if it's uh, you know a, a lot of a lot of this uh, the advantage of of kind of game theoretical scenarios like this is that you don't tell them your strategy. Yeah, but I, mean, I don't think it's I don't think that's the worst part of it. I don't think that's particularly bad because you know. It, you know, you know what? In fact, it even makes sense, sort of, in that direction, because it's like, okay, you want to look for a man who's looking for a wife, is is where she is in life. The problem is your signal is not true. Your signal is now you're signaling that you're not attracted to the man that you're with because yeah. you were willing to sleep with the X number of men before him, and. The, you're able to resist now. If you're able to resist now and you weren't able to resist before and it's something you wanted, that just says this you're not really attracted to them. And then men have to worry because women definitely have an aspect of them where they will marry a man either they're not super attracted to. And then both of you will be miserable for the rest of your lives because at some point she realizes she does want to be married just to anybody. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's a, a classical scenario for a lot of people. And uh, in, in a way it's, you know, like you said, you know, the, the signal infrastructure or the, like the, the playing field is just so messed up that, you know, you, you might never know. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's terrible out there <laughs> to be honest. It really is. It really is horrible. Congratulations on, on getting married. I don't know if you're married. I know you have a son. Yeah, no, I'm married. I'm married. Okay. All right. Good. You know, I mean, congratulations yeah. on that. Congratulations on your son. That's that's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. It, it is it is wonderful. I kind of feel like uh, very lucky. You know, I was thinking maybe it's my place to write something to give people advice. It is not. It really isn't. Like my situation is very unique. Um, I'm lucky as well. Um, I I mean, one thing that I did was I, that I essentially put out. Um, subtle, not direct. I wasn't the kind of person like, I'm, I'm going to get married. You need to give me this and that. And I feel like that's absolutely backfiring type of strategy. Yeah. But, you know, kind of what I tried to do with my profile, because I, I met my husband online, uh, was to kind of show what type of life I wanted and kind of who wanted to participate in that in the future. And that was kind of a more traditional life. I don't know. It was more kind of a story type profile like okay you know and, important. yeah i think so i mean it's just like you know this is the life i'd like uh if you're the type of person who is interested in something like this you know send me a message <laughs> something like that uh and he was the kind of person who actually read something on some woman's dating profile and i guess that's you know step number one check he actually read it so <laughs> yeah that's that's one one level he needs to clear um yeah, and it, it turned out really well for me. I know a lot, uh, not a lot of people. I know a few people who um, it seems to have turned out well for as well. But it's, you know, like what you look like, uh, what stage in your life you are, um, how you communicate as well. Like if you're like completely verbally autistic, you won't be able to use these applications if you're not some sort of Adonis. Like it's it's the, the combination of factors that need to go into this for this to actually work for someone is, you know, is, is completely opaque even to me. So that's that's about, about the extent well, of my advice. Well, you brought, you brought up something interesting because you said he, he was attentive enough to read your profile and, and be interested in it. But at the same time, a lot of women put their profiles up as a way of testing to see if the guy is too willing to comply. And they do the opposite. They, 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 if they'll put a whole bunch of disqualifiers, don't, don't, don't email me. Don't message me. If your list of things that eliminate literally every man, if you include them. And so it's, do you have the balls to message me? Even though I said you shouldn't message me is, is a signal that gets set. The whole signaling mechanism is corrupted because of, because of the, playing a game with asymmetric information like that needs, you need to have a wider thing to set rules, basically, or you, or, or you will end up in, in bad equilibriums. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's like if you go into a supermarket, if you see something marked with a weight, you don't have to bring a scale into the supermarket to test if it's actually, if it actually weighs that, you know, you will, if it's on the package, you know that it weighs that. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a fundamental thing that you need for society to operate because the amount of cost of everybody bringing a scale and weighing every item individually, because you can't trust that is similar to what goes on in the dating world, because you can trust nothing that's being said. Women will say things that they're looking for the looking for men to ignore what they're saying. At the same time, other women will say the exact same thing and is looking for men to pay attention to it. 
And it leaves the women in a situation where the men don't care what, which group they fall in. They're just trying to find women, you know, and they're just trying to find women they can go home with in a lot of cases. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's essentially the direction that these apps also tend to go in, just game theoretically. Again, yeah. like they, they tend to cull a lot of men uh, and the, the remaining men, the ones who are successful at this, you know, it's, it's, it's quite, you know, they're, they're quite productive at, at dating women. Yes. Uh, and that t- tends to skew uh, your perspective on the women you end up dating. Uh, the women become blasé, of course, because, you know, there's a certain, you know, the, the apps breed a certain type of mentality, even, even as in a serious guy, you know, why would he settle down if, if, you know, there's so many women interested in him. So it's, well, that's, that's, that's a very interesting point because it's, it's, Women don't realize that their criteria are all the same. It's it's you know the the latest controversy that just went on is the West Elm Caleb. Have you heard? You heard about this, <laughs> yes, right? yeah, yeah. So West Elm Caleb, really, what that revealed, and women didn't like it, was that they all have this. They all the same lines work on them. Like if you if you say the same lines and you're this guy, he has figured out what exactly he needs to say to get these women into bed, and they don't like that, and they sort of displaced that they don't like that onto him and it's saying it's something he did it's not something he did he literally just went and found what they were looking for right that's what they're optimized that's what these women are optimizing for yeah. and they don't realize it yeah i saw yeah i saw i saw like a kind of a, a picture of the guy and kind of the interaction what his stats were like that guy was you know he's almost algorithm generated for <laughs> the type of woman who, you know, frequents the metropolitan areas of the world yeah. uh, because he's not an obvious guy. He's not flashy. He's not, you know, the, you know, jet stream type guy. Uh, he's kind of relatively understated, but is, is six foot four or something like that. Still has that kind of indie band charm, wears a funny hat, makes a joke in his profile, something like that. You know, that's literally the guy every woman wants to date because they think, oh, you know, this is a guy who wants a relationship because he's not really the hottest guy on here. So <laughs> they all converge in en masse on this on this guy. And obviously he he realized that he he represented the archetype and he, yeah, I guess he he yeah, made it work for him. Yeah. I mean, look, look, it's, it's why, why are the most, why is the, why are the most profitable companies in the world tech companies? Because once you write a piece of code, if you write a piece of code that can generate 0.001 cents in profit every time it gets executed, you can put it out in the world and have the same code get executed a zillion times to turn it into, you know, a, a massive amount of money. So Caleb figured out the code for how to get women on on that app on that app, which I assume was Tinder, how to get women on Tinder to to go to bed with him, and he just ran the code over and over and over again every single day, because why wouldn't he? I think uh, the the sad part of of all of this is that uh, you know a, a big chunk of these women's personality is also algorithm derived. You know, it's literally yes. been shat out by Instagram, and the yep. idea that you're like this this quirky snowflake because you like. I don't Beige cups, um, you know, and, and you like Caleb because he's just like the perfect amount of indie. Uh, <laughs> you know, you've just been productized. You, you know, all of your 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 wants and desires, even about the aesthetic qualities of a man, have been introduced into you by the same channels. You know, the same types of aesthetics uh, that everyone else has. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's quite. I think that's probably the, the unnerving part about this whole thing. They couldn't believe how homogenous mentally they were. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, they all, you know, but 
women have to be homogenous in a lot of ways. And, and this gets back to the differences between men and women, but women outsource their evaluation of men to other women. They, they, you know, if, if a man is, if a man has a hot girlfriend, he's hot, period, no matter what. He's a, he is attractive and interesting to women. That's it. That's all there is to it. If a woman has a, 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 if a woman has an extremely attractive boyfriend, men don't look at her, men don't, men will maybe look at her twice to see what he sees in her, but they won't find her more attractive because of that. Women do find men more attractive because of that. So, Ultimately, you know, so it works like like peacocks, right? You know, sexual selection is as Darwin described it. Women are looking for men that other women will find attractive. That's one thing that they absolutely will look for. And they will converge. It's good for them to converge on one set of tastes, but I don't know how how and why they lied themselves about not having the same tastes as other women. I guess because it means that there's no solution to their problem. There's the, the problem of that they want to mate for life, but the same guy that they want to mate for life with is the same guy that every other woman does too. Yeah, and in in our networked world, it's actually possible to mate with him <laughs> for a very short time. You know, he's, if he's yeah. got the time, he'll mate. So yeah. no, absolutely. I mean, like like you know, and and I like to say that 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 a lot of the collapse happened. A lot of the collapse happened because of the apps. In the old days, after the old system, the really old system broke down, right? And, and marriage and, 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 you know, if a man and a woman were together, they got married and that was it. After that system broke down, you sort of had this in-between time of like men and women who would go out to clubs. They would go out to spots where you would meet other people. And women were under a constraint then and they didn't really realize it of they didn't want to be humiliated. And it would be humiliating to go out and try to get with a man and realize that the man you're attracted to, you're like fifth on his list. And now, if you're fifth on his list, it just means he fits you in on Wednesday. Because, he, you know, you found, him on, you found him on Tinder instead of finding him in, 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 in Studio 54, right? You know. Yeah. I mean- that, 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 that end of the night, that end of the night you went home alone or you had to disappear in shame and and you had to watch the guy you wanted talk to other girls instead of talking to you really stung. And it was really like, that was sort of the incentive to get women to get off the market. They're like, look, I, I don't want to go through that humiliation anymore. Like, like, and you know, it's ugly and people don't want to talk about being motivated to not to avoid things that are negative. But that's the reality, or that's part of the reality. You know, part of the reality is that that was how the that was a big check on how the mating market worked. Yeah, I mean, this this kind of removal of friction, as you know, it's it's, it's the thing that kind of brings externalities into all sorts of market. But this one, this one, I think is the, the most consequential because essentially, uh, you know, I, I know kind of my generation of women, millennials, and we had a phase. You know, most of our our young lives was not tied to the apps, you know, you, you met, you know, your boyfriend in high school or college and, you know, there were, there were real life interactions where men would talk to you and then you, you know, you went home with a guy and then he was your boyfriend. And then, you know, that was your life and you would go to everywhere with him. And, um, and you know, these women know that type of interaction and now they've been someone's friend with benefits for two years and they're like pulling their hair out because, uh, life doesn't work the same way. These men, they don't want you in that way. They really no. don't see you in that way. And, you know, I, 
I've seen quite a lot of people just almost lose their minds over this. Like there is no way to uh, transform a, a friend with benefits relationship into what you actually want into a no. relationship. The man will see you. He'll see you, but he won't, he won't commit to you in any way. And like a lot of women like subject themselves to quite abusive behavior from some guys who they still imagine somewhere in their mind that, you know, okay, you know, maybe eventually this is going to turn into a relationship. I don't even know exactly what they expect from that. But part part um, of that also is that as far as, you know, quite abusive behavior is in a way that's actually attractive because that is yeah. because, because they're signaling. And, and, and if you're, if a man is just utterly horrible to a woman it signals hey i have other options i don't care if i lose you or not which is insanely attractive for a woman and a man good you know? point <laughs> yeah right? usually yeah i mean you know you you if you when you take away when you take away the ability to make irrevocable bargains signaling gets completely messed up and and it happens in and it happens in and you see it in relationships you know, it's, it's, it's just, and, 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 you know, the liberal, the liberal worldview is can't see and can't accept that there are, that, that you have to have irrevocable bargains or so human society doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Very well put. Um, you know, and then the idea that every bargain needs to be analyzed and, and weighed and negotiated, uh, individually every time. That's also unworkable um, because unworkable. it's unworkable, number one, because not everyone is equipped to make these analyses. And, no. uh, you know, it's actually quite elitist. You know, liberalism is a very elitist type of thinking where because you are, you know, a, a rationalist and you, you know, t take out a paper napkin every time you have to make a decision and, you know, you weigh all the options and stuff. Most people just you know, roll through life and hold on <laughs> and try to make it through. Uh, and they need support. And a lot of stuff that offers them support was, you know, has been thrown out the window with the idea that, you know what, there is a whole menu of options you can choose from. You just, you, you decide, inform yourself, get educated, man. And then you'll, you'll just make good decisions. No, <laughs> people make terrible decisions. No, people make terrible decisions. I mean, because people, and I don't even want to say that people make terrible decisions. They make decisions that are optimized for different for a different environment, right? Yeah. In other words, you know, women, women like like, and, and because we're talking about this, women are making choices that are optimized that are perfectly well optimized for an environment that just doesn't exist. Where you know, if she she wouldn't be allowed to be with a man unless that she wouldn't be allowed to be alone with a man unless that man was approved by her family, right? I mean, you know, because the classical assumption was if a man or a woman are alone, they're fucking. You know, that's the classical assumption. No matter what, if a man or a woman are in a room alone together, sex is happening, right? And maybe that was an exaggeration, and obviously it was, but it was a guardrail that enabled that enabled. A think a way of thinking that constrained women's options in such a way that she would be very happy with her husband when she got a husband, and you were a, a, you know a father, an extended family would be able to vet and evaluate a man for whether or not he would make a good husband for her. I mean, we have this wonderful evolutionary background where we learn to outsource a lot of our decisions to other people to social systems, and we threw it away because individual because individual brains are that good no they're not they're really not you know <laughs> they're really not yeah 
Yeah, I it's <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of one of my my main my main hobby horses, the idea that, you know, um at at this point for people like me, the only thing that I could probably, you know, reliably tell people is that you need to impose constraints on yourself. No one's going to come in to to do it. It doesn't seem to be there any any outside way and any new constraint you impose on yourself, you know, br- Tradition is a good guide <laughs> guideline. Yeah. Um, you know, the traditions that are um, uh, proper to to your people in a way even better. Yeah. You know, there there are certain things, just ineffable things, and intangible things that exist encoded in these things that we just we don't know what we've lost. And I think even people like us who think about this stuff and realize that we've lost a lot, even we don't realize how much it was encoded in this stuff, and, and even no, just like embodied because, because- stuff. Yeah, because because nobody nobody wrote this stuff down. Nobody was explicit about about what was encoded. The only thing we can do is we can look on it with like a modern mind and sort of try to act like like the way economists look at what firms do. You assume that firms that exist are rational in some way, so you have to assume that traditions are rational in some way, or they wouldn't exist. But then there are a lot of traditions that weren't that maybe weren't rational. But who knows? Maybe you just don't know the reason for those either. I mean, it's very complicated. We're we're sort of the first generation of postmodern traditionalists, of traditionalists who consciously reject modernism and not because, you know, we're yokels or or, or, or uneducated rubes. We reject it because it doesn't work, because modernism just doesn't work and tradition worked. But I don't even know how you, I don't know how you educate a second generation of of postmodern traditionalists. I don't know the answer to that. You you have a start on that. You you have a job ahead of you to figure that one out. I mean, I don't think it's going to be easy, and I don't think it might not even be possible without a, a a radical revision in Without come the restoration, and we could we can you know have schools that sort of teach like the dangers of the old ways of thinking and the reason why things are the way they are. But then there's a factor of if you know too much about why things are the way they are and if you know that you can have something different that sort of destroys your faith in 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 the old ways yeah no no i i I completely agree with that it's um you know again just uh, the game theory of it all you know these it's why localism is you know it's it's a good idea but it's it's not bulletproof you know you could have your local little town and do everything very specifically but you know, there there are no uh, guns pointing inward in your local little town. Yeah. There's people can leave, and um, the promises of well, but of that's t- the other thing is if you if you came up with the solution and your solution was no part of part of it is no you can't leave, then the wider liberal society would absolutely they would crush you. You know, they would go, yeah. they would go, they, you know, they, they would go, they would go Waco on you. They would go Branch Davidians on you. I mean, the you know, I, I apparently learned, I've learned recently that the Amish um, actually have a way of doing this where you, you go on Roomspringa, which is their, their little freedom, their, their freedom thing where they experience the, the modern world when you're about 16 and you come back and you have, and you make a choice. You can either be Amish or you can leave the Amish. And if you leave the Amish, that's fine. You see everybody and you're part of, you're still part of it. You know, you're still, you're still a loved one, but you're just not, not Amish. But if you come back to the Amish and you quit later, then you're anathema and they, they cast you out forever. And, you know, so it's, it's, you know, there have to be solutions where 
you know, they, they sort of have adapted to, they don't have the power to have, to force a bargain on it. So they have, a, 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 they, they enforce what they can in, within the constraints of, of a wider society that really does have um, what they see as a totalizing religion, a religion that has to be brought to every person on earth. And if anyone on earth isn't part of the progressive religion, that's an affront and that's a crime that cries out to heaven for redress. So they've, they've adapted to that as well as they can. Yes, I think that's that's a a pretty good system. I mean, also having what what's their uh, TFR? <laughs> they're, they're having oh, explosive God. population it's growth. Very high, yeah. Yeah. So even if one of the kids decides to, to room spring up forever, uh, you know, you still have a spare thirteen that you can base <laughs> your society on. <laughs> so yeah, I you know I've been thinking about this myself quite quite a lot obviously every day um my my personal flavor of the the solution for this would be to provide the ingredients to my hopefully intelligent child to have the same epiphanies that i have had maybe a little bit earlier um to you know we're we're definitely going to homeschool for at least part of his uh, education just because of the quality of education i mean yeah. his options here is either romanian you know, public school, even private school, it's Romania, um, or, you know, in New Zealand also, you know, that's where my husband's from. So these options don't sound great. Um, so there's gonna, definitely going to be a good ingredient of, of homeschooling. But the idea that, you know, homeschooling is just going to create a new man completely severed from, uh, from the real world, you know, that's also not something that's possible. So, you know, we're probably going to have a, a measured approach to this, you know, not completely bunker our child, but also, you know, let him see what's going on in the wider world. Um, but things do tend to accelerate quite a lot. And there's already a backlash in mainstream. Um, so that backlash is quite productive. People are seeing the the, the disaster that is the millennial generation. You know, the these women already uh, are, uh, you know, full of... Uh, yeah, a terror and you know, tragic, uh, yes. you know, even if they're not necessarily aware of their own tragedy, but from the outside to a perceptive zoomer, they already look like tragedy. So, uh, hopefully my child whose generation, I don't think is even named yet. Um, it will, we'll see the, the tragedies of the past and, you know, uh, you know, adapt to a better course. Uh, you can only hope. I mean, these are not the most terrible and scary times that even my family has lived through. Culturally, they are terrifying in many ways, but, um, you know, there's, you know, there's no, yeah, death camps yet. There's no things yeah. like that kind of, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's kind of the only thing I kind of console myself with, you know, the lights are still on, there's water, <laughs> water coming through. Uh, I, I have to be appreciative of, of everything that we have and we have so much. So, we do. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy, but, but obviously. But that's, but that's the question, right? Is, 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 will, will the things that we have and everybody's appreciation for the things that we do have stand as a barrier to actually fixing the things that are wrong or will things continue to go wrong until we don't even have water and power? And then you still have to fix all the social problems. Then you still have to deal with all the social problems and all the and all the built up insanity. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, uh, I, that was blackpilling. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's another thing that I think about quite often. Um, yeah, I think I, I don't think I have an answer to that. I hope. 
people are a bit wiser than they seem. <laughs> but, uh, you know, people do well, tend to hang on to their beliefs. Uh, well, they hang, they, they hang on to, and, and this is, this is another one of, uh, this is another one of my accounts themes is they, 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 they've joined up in a, in an egregore, right? And, and, you know, for, for your audience members who are unfamiliar with it, it's a, it's a fancy word for a hive mind where everyone in it worries about conforming their thoughts to what they think everyone else in the group believes. So you have the group it multiplies and magnifies any beliefs. If you think this is the progressive thing to believe, then you think other people will think this is the progressive thing to believe. So you will start to believe. And these people have decided for the most part that it is more dangerous to leave the group personally, socially, you know, like the social and personal penalties is more dangerous for them to leave the group than it is for them to support the group because the group is only destroying society. But if you leave the group, they'll destroy you personally. So it's a, it's again, it's comes down to game theory, right? It's, it's, you're better off. You'd be better off if the group could break up because it's rule. It's just, it's pulling society apart in, in many ways. But at the same time, you don't want to be the one to step out of the group. You don't want to be the first one to step out of the group. So everyone goes along with things that everyone in the group knows is insane. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I think the 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 only way to dissolve this this equilibrium is to um create kind of an alternative group where there is status in switching sides. I feel like mm -hmm. something like that's forming uh, for some people. Is it complete? Is it actually defined? It's it's very Straussian at the moment still what exactly yeah. it is, but I think a lot of people are switching sides. There's kind of power forming. Um on this side, you know, that's essentially my bet. It's not like I had any status to, to gamble with, you know, I'm not a big old social butterfly anyway, but yeah, there, there but is something. Not, but it's not even about, it's not even just about status and, and, and it's about, we get, qual we get quality people on our side and the last generation, all the quality people, almost all the quality people with the exception of a few, of a few cranks were, were on the side of the machine. And now people are starting to see when they when they make their choice, they're starting to see, is it really worth it to join the machine? And, and the, the deal that the machine is offering is worse now than it ever has been in the past. Because if you think about the deal, what, what matters to men and what matters to women? Can you have children? Can a man get a, can a, man get a, a wife that's devoted to him? Can a, can a woman get a husband that she, that she loves and admires? And if you can't do that and the machine can't offer that and it can't, then what does that say about the future of the machine? I mean, one way or another, it falls apart. Yeah. Yeah. We're, I mean, I'm, my investment is that I'm, I'm on the ground floor with the sledgehammer. Hopefully that, uh, that, that pans out that way. I mean, obviously this is having something crumble around you sounds fun, but it's also, you know, very terrifying. Yes. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think, anyone is that optimistic about what it's going to look like, you know, hopefully it doesn't look like, you know, the power's turning off, you know, it obviously looks like a lot of inflation. It obviously looks like, you know, energy prices skyrocketing. Um, there's many, there are many signs of the in, incoming, uh, yeah, disaster. Well, but well yeah. from, from a broad perspective, there are sort of, there are like, there are basically three ways that can, that the system can, can end. 
right? And, and you know, just drawing from historical examples, well, four. Yeah, four. One is really horrifying. One, one would be the Caesar solution, right? Which would be the Republic is dead and it's been dead for, it's been dead for at least two generations. Um, but someone rises up, uh, still a quality man rises up and he takes over the, he takes over the, the, he takes over the machinery and gets it to work again under personal authority, right? That's, that's option one. That's, that's, that's probably the best. That's the best we can hope for, right? Option two is, the uh the stalin approach which is a leftist comes in and declares that no we shall go no further to the left than we have already gone <clears throat> i am the living embodiment of the revolution and i will go and i will make an absolute bloodbath but i will kill all the real communists all the real true believing communists will were, were basically killed by stalin and after stalin dies they, the the Soviet Union is a much different place because it's a much more relaxed atmosphere because they know that if they try to purity spiral each other, they will just murder one another again, and no one no one at the top wants that. So they so they settle into a bureaucratic, still horrible system, but not nearly as bad as it would have been if Trotsky or Lenin lived or if Trotsky took over. So that's that's option two. And that's probably the second that's probably the the, the second best option. And then the third the third option is sort of like fall of the Roman Empire, Bronze Age collapse, all international trade stops, everything falls apart and and you have a massive die off because economic complexity is no longer able to continue in the world, right? That's terrible. And then the absolute worst is the Pol Pot scenario, where leftists take the leftists really take over and they unleash a red terror bloodbath like you've never seen before of anyone who's insufficiently leftist. And I don't think that's likely, but it's certainly possible. Yeah, you it's know. happened before. It's happened before. You know, the yeah. seven kill steel apparently was that, right? The the heaven brings forth innumerable things to a rich man. Man has nothing with which to recompense heaven. Kill, 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 kill. It's a, a poem found in a in a yeah, I know, right? That is a poem found in an area that apparently had a, a very uh in a very an area in China that had a had a had a leftist singularity, as it's described, a leftist holiness spiral. And no one is left that was pure enough. No one was left that recompensed heaven. None of us, none of them did the right thing by the climate, by way of the climate. None of them were sufficiently committed to racial justice, to making, to pretending that racial differences don't exist and that everybody can get the same results. <laughs> yeah. And on that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, I, I, I can't let you go yet. I mean, you know, obviously the, the, the first option, please, uh, yes, if possible. Please. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yes, I mean, we're probably something like that seems to be more likely, at least from 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 where I stand. Uh, it I hope probably so. will take will take a very long time to actually materialize. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> here's hoping. Um, I also want to ask you the question of the show. Um, oh, yeah. Yes, which is, you know, do you know a subversive thinker that people should? Uh, be more interested in that you think is underrated. Well, that's, okay, that's an interesting one. I thought I thought and and I thought your your question of the show I thought was uh, the uh, the books that you would recommend. I actually was ready with that. Oh, could be. I mean, 
typically people recommend books, you know, they're usually writers, but we've had, um, I mean, uh, Kashiwaji, uh, he recommended a video game developer. We've had musicians recommended, uh, artists, all sorts of things. I mean, if, if you have like a more off, off brand or, you no, know, no, no. I had, I menu. actually, I had, I had two books. I had an author and I had two books that I wanted to recommend and they actually, a lot of stuff, a lot of themes in them came up in those obliquely. So, nice. yeah, well, the first was, the first was, and, and, and Moldbo put this on his reading list on, uh, on unqualified reservations a million years ago. I don't know how many people have read it, but, uh, Caesar, a sketch by, by James Anthony Frude, who is the literary executor of, of Carlisle's estate. Who is a, um, and he wrote a very, the, the book is very interesting because it talked about the way the, the, the Roman empire, the way the Roman Republic was dead already when Caesar was born and everyone sort of knew it. And you see the parallels to, to what happens today is first the civic religion collapsed and nobody really believed in the civic religion anymore. And because they were exposed to, they had recently conquered Greece and they were exposed to Greek thought and it sort of, it broke, it broke an equilibrium where it's like, well, these aren't stupid people. These are people who believe something completely different and incompatible with what we believe with the old Roman religion. And, you know, maybe this is all nonsense was sort of like what happened. And the elites lost all cohesion and lost all ability to coordinate with themselves. And so, so he tells the way he tells the tale you know, the, the, the Roman Republic was incapable of governing, which was why Caesar was able to do what he did. The Roman Republic wasn't healthy. Caesar didn't kill a healthy Roman Republic. It was a dead Roman Republic. And it was dead because of the, the lack of belief and because of sort of globalization, sort of globalization broadened the horizons of people and it made them unable to believe what they had believed in the past. And I think we're seeing something similar now, which is, which is interesting. Um, mm. And then the second was, I wanted to recommend, I'll recommend his entire, anything he's written is great, but I wanted to recommend in particular Tom Wolfe, um, Mao Mowing the Flat Catchers is a, is a fantastic story. It, it's, a, it's, it's actually, I think, one of his journalistic pieces. And it's, a, it, the term is the flat catchers are the bureaucrats. And, and the Mao Mowing is, they would come in and that was, a, I think it's a, a, a South Pacific Island, a South Pacific Island uh, term for like, you know, you go in and you, uh, you know, you intimidate, you intimidate them by yelling, you yell at the bureaucrats. And he was saying that like the whole story of how like the poverty programs worked in San Francisco is they were sort of selecting for, and they were sort of trying to get militantism and they were trying to raise the, raise this, the, you know, the, the poor, they were trying to remake them as an army in a way. Um, they would, they would try to get guys and they would make them try to make them look organized. And they would try to, they were trying to, like it was like the system wanting to build up a puppet that it could use as a as a as an offensive force, and and we're we're in multiple generations of this, of them paying for they, they pay for militancy, they pay for and they reward the system rewards hostility to basically the whole wide society, figuring that they can aim it at the at the kulaks, aim it at the at the at the enemies of the of the of the state, and he sort of talks about it and this was in the late the late 60s so you realize exactly how long this type of thing has been going on and really anything by Tom Wolf is is great and is very much uh 
on on point for us. Like if you want to look about sexual sexual stuff and, and relationships between men and women, I am Charlotte Simmons is a great novel for that. If you want to look at like the urban crime and the the term the hunt for the great white defendant that like all the DAs live their lives for, the early urban DAs live their lives for comes from uh comes from Bonfire of the Vanities, where it happened in the book before the very similar event happened in real life. But yeah, that's my second my second thinker of somebody who gives a perspective of not only is he interesting about it, but he also shows you that none of this stuff is like it didn't pop up in 2020. Society didn't go wrong in 2004. Society didn't go wrong with Barack Obama getting elected. Society has been wrong for a very long time, or or at least a long time recently. And then you can go deeper and see how long society has been gone wrong for. If you want to read some other stuff that I don't have any recommendations ready for. Um, yeah, take that IDW. <laughs> That's yeah. one of the main like theses of, of this space is that, yeah, you know, this has been going on for a long time. Uh, yeah, this uh, excellent recommendations. I've only read Bonfire of the Vanities, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll look into his wider, wider opus. Um, was it remarkable with the, uh, with the, the way the, uh, the Tawana Brawley case was after Bonfire of the Vanities? And I know you're younger and that was sort of like the big, the first big, it literally hit all the notes. Like, Al Sharpton as the Reverend Bacon from the book. And, you know, like the case was, you know, the girl who claimed she was kidnapped by the sheriff of a town and raped and, and beaten. Yeah, I only was... heard about actually Tawana Brawley. I learned about it from the the Helen Andrews Boomers book I, because I, I'm not American. So obviously a lot of these right. things that used to be big milestones in American culture, I found out about him like yesterday. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I just read about that maybe about six months ago when I read that book. So yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely a very um, congruent with what's yeah. going on there. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, and, and, the, I mean, the remarkable thing is it was after. It was after. But anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, good good writers create reality. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. Or, yeah. Um, thank you so much for coming on. This was a pleasure. This is a very, uh, a very good episode, I have to say. Um, and um, yeah, I'm very happy we got to do this. Uh, I hope you'll come on again. I would love Not sure to. when, but... Uh, very, very happy to, to have you on. Thank you, Alex.